chapter 28, as pastor will be concluding his series on the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew 28, the final chapter. Verses 16 through 20 will be our portion of scripture for this morning. That's found on page 1062 in your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Well, we've been studying the book of Matthew, verse by verse, together for three and a half years. We began in August of 2013, and Lord willing, we're going to finish today. We have now arrived at the final paragraph of the book of Matthew, and these verses are some of the most well-known and significant verses in all of Matthew. They are a fitting closing to the consideration of Jesus' life and ministry. They have become to be known as the Great Commission, uh, the Great Commission that God, through the personal Lord Jesus, has given to us. I really wrestled with whether I wanted to do three messages on this paragraph or just one. And uh, there's a lot of detail that I'd like to go into, but I thought we might get into the trees and lose sight of the forest. And so we're just going to take this as a whole today as we look at the Great Commission. We start by looking at the basis of the Great Commission. That Great Commission is making disciples of all nations. The basis of the Great Commission is Jesus' having all authority. Note with me Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the one through whom God mediates all of his authority. Notice in verse 18, it says, All authority has been given to me, given by God the Father to Jesus Christ. That is an authority to the man Jesus by God the Father. Now as we read through the book of Matthew, we encounter Jesus' authority time and time again. And we find the extensiveness 
of that authority. They are amazed and say, who is this man that even the, the winds and the seas obey him? We read where the Pharisees marvel and say, who has the authority to forgive sins but God alone, as Jesus forgave sins? So we saw all through the book of Matthew that the Son of God has authority. He has the authority of God. Here, Jesus is speaking of his humanity, and in his resurrection, he is now saying that all authority has been given to me. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it picks up after Jesus' death, and it says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So confessing that Jesus is Lord is not blasphemous in any way, but rather brings honor and glory to the Father. We are to exalt and worship the Lord Jesus, even as the disciples worshipped him in verse 17. Jesus displayed that authority in his resurrection. In the resurrection of Jesus, we have his power and authority displayed in a quite demonstrable way. If you remember, the authorities, being the Jewish leader, the members of Roman government, had sentenced Jesus to death. Pilate looked at Jesus and marveled at Jesus' silence, and he said, don't you know that I have power to put you to death or to live? And Jesus says, you would have no authority but that which is given by the Father. If you remember, the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus put to death. And after he was crucified, we saw last week that they came requesting the tomb to be made secure. To be sure that Jesus would stay in that tomb. Thinking that perhaps someone was going to steal his body and say that he rose from the dead. And so that teal seal, that tomb was sealed with the waxed imprint of the Roman government saying that by the power of Rome, that tomb was to stay sealed. There were guards placed at that tomb. But Jesus triumphed over all those powers. No one, no earthly entity, no spiritual entity, Satan, wanted to keep Jesus in the tomb. But Jesus demonstrated his power, his authority, over everything on earth and everything in heaven, every physical realm and spiritual realm, and came forth bodily from the tomb. All entities were powerless in preventing Jesus rising from the dead. Jesus has all authority now. Jesus is not merely speaking of a future authority, 
But he's speaking of a present authority. Notice verse 28, excuse me, chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth, now these words, has been given to me. Not will be given to me, but has been given to me. Now we know that there is in the scriptures a tension that exists between the present and the not yet. There's a sense in which Jesus reigns over all things now, and there's a sense in which he's going to come back and manifest that earthly reign in a more complete way. Hebrews puts it this way, putting everything in subjection under his feet, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. N.T. Wright puts it this way, and I quote, People get very puzzled by the claim that Jesus is already ruling the world until they see what is in fact being said. The claim is not that the world is already completely as Jesus intends it to be. The claim is that he is working to take it from where it was under the rule not only of death, but of corruption, greed, and every kind of wickedness, and to bring it by slow means and quick under the rule of his life-giving love. And how he is doing this? Here is the shock through us as followers. The project only goes forward insofar as Jesus' agents, the people he has commissioned, are taking it forward, end quote. It is on the basis of that authority that Jesus gives us a work to do. Notice verse 19. Go, therefore, therefore, the declaration of Jesus' authority is to provide the basis for the command that he's about to give. There is to be a recognition that Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth. So we should, first of all, recognize that authority in our own lives. We refer to him as Lord, he is Lord. And we are to submit to him as Lord. We are to be obedient to what he says and tells us to do. And we are to declare and bring others to a place of recognizing that authority as well. It's not that people make Jesus their Lord. It's rather that they recognize that Jesus is their Lord. There's an opportunity now, before Jesus returns, to bow the knee, not because one has to, but because one is willing to. And so there is this great commission that is given to us on the basis of Jesus' authority. The question is, is the great commission just for us or the 11? Notice that the great commission is given to them as disciples, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
It doesn't refer to them as apostles, but rather it refers to them as disciples, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by extension, the great commission that is given to them as disciples is given to us as well. Notice verses 19 and 20. Go there, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We could debate, if we wanted to, the grammar and the structure as to whether that decree is given just to them or to us as well. But as you continue reading, it says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, that is, future disciples, to observe all that I have commanded you. So if the future disciples, of whom we are among them, are to obey all that God has given them to do, therefore, if God has given them this work of disciple-making, then God has given us this work of disciple-making as well. So no matter how you approach this text, the Great Commission is given not just to the eleven but it's given to us as well. So let's look at what this Great Commission consists of. That is, making disciples of all people groups. Notice verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. The main verb in this verse is make disciples. Make disciples. And it is an imperative. It is a command. That is the command that is given to all disciples. Disciples are to be reproducing themselves. Disciples are to make disciples that are to make disciples that are to make disciples that are to make disciples. Disciples are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about how they become followers in just a moment. But they are people that recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. In Daniel chapter 7, we read this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's what we're talking about. A kingdom of all peoples, nations, and languages. So of whom are we to make disciples? It says in verse 19, all nations. When we read that in the English Bible, I think we have a tendency to view that as geopolitical groups with geographical locations. As we think of the word nations, we think of China, we think of Russia, we think of Canada, Mexico, United States, and on and on. Okay? But that's not what is the Greek word here. It's not geopolitical 
places, or regions. Nations are ethnic groups. The word in Greek is ethnos, from which we get the word ethnic or uh, ethnicity. It is speaking of peoples of every line of descent. The emphasis here is that the gospel is not limited to the Jewish people, but of all tribes, of all peoples, all languages, all ethnic backgrounds are to be made disciples of, regardless of their heritage and their background. All people. How are we to do it? How are we make disciples? Now, if you forgive me for a moment, I'm going to get a little technical here because it's pretty important and there's been so much written, as there always is, from so many different perspectives. So first of all, I would like to note that there are three participles in this verse and the next verse. Now, those of you who are not great in grammar, a participle is a word that is made from a verb that modifies either a noun or a verb. So you can have an adjectival participle that modifies an adjective, or you can have an adverbial participle that modifies a verb. Usually, but not always, it's translated into English with the ending ing, but not always. Like working women. Working is a participle. Okay. Women. So that is an adjectival participle because it's modifying a noun. In Matthew 28, 19, there are, and 20, there are three participles. The first is the word go. That is a participle. The second is the word baptizing. That is a participle. And the third is teaching. Verse 20. That is a participle. The word go is not an imperative. That's not a command. It's a participle. The command is make disciples. Because there are loads of people that want to talk about, you know, the Bible says you must go. Therefore, you've got to go or come up with a good reason why you stay. Because the Bible doesn't say, the Bible says go. All right? It's not a command. The command is make disciples. It's a participle. Okay? Now, there are three participles. Go, baptizing, and teaching. There are five usages of a participle that modifies a verb. Since we have a verb, I'm not going to worry about adjectives. Okay? Stay with me. Because this gets kind of important. Okay? There are five usages. So you have to decide how this, these participles are being used in this verse. The first is a temporal participle. A temporal participle is translated into English with the words while or after. It shows when something happens, such as Mark 9, 5. All the crowd seeing him were amazed. Which means, when all the crowd saw him, they were amazed. There is a causal participle. I'm not going to get into that. There is an instrumental participle. That is participles that explain how. Translated often with by 
or by means of. I would submit to you that it is clear in the text that baptizing and teaching are instrumental participles. In other words, it would be fine to translate it this way. I didn't have my Bible open to where it needed to be. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, and it would be fine to translate this by baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to observe all things. It's pretty clear that those two participles are instrumental participles. It's explaining how to make disciples. How do you make disciples? You baptize them and you teach them. That is the essence of discipleship. I'll come back to that. Okay? When you're making disciples, you are baptizing people and you are teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. That's what it means to make a disciple. The question is, what about this word go? That's also a participle. There's a lot of debate over that. There are some that say you should make that a temporal participle. In other words, as you go or while you were going, make disciples of all nations. And the way they apply that is, and it's very popular in missional theology today, is to talk about the fact that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, as you are going, as you are working, as you are ministering, as you are doing your daily bit of life, you should be making disciples. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing. So whatever your job Wherever your locale, you should be making disciples. You should be making disciples of your neighbors. You should be making disciples of uh, your coworkers. You should be making disciples of your family members, etc. As you go, as you live out your life, you should be making disciples. <clears throat> or we could see it as we do the other two, and that is an instrumental. Uh, uh, Participle, by going, by going. So now that gets back to this aspect of, of, does that mean every single person has to go? And the answer is no, it's not imperative, it's a participle. Thus the idea is that you make disciples by going to them. You don't make disciples by waiting for them to come to you. You need to be active in this process. You have to be the initiator. You have to be the one that is going to start this process of disciple making. In my estimation, it makes to me the most sense to take all three participles the same way. And that is par, par, uh, instrumental participles. So how do you make disciples? By going, by baptizing, and by teaching. All right? Now, what do we mean by going? The, the, it includes that aspect of uh, 
the missional theology, wherever you find yourself, <laughs> in your everyday action, as you go your way, as you go your daily life, you should be making disciples. It should be primary in every person's life. You, me, everyone. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should see as your primary reason for existence of making disciples. And you should see that in my workplace, in my relationships, in my sports, okay, wherever I am, wherever I go, I should be in the process of making disciples, of trying to make people followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is over all things and over all people. It shares the idea of going, of reaching out to them. Romans chapter 10, verse 20 says this. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not answer me. There's a great verse in Peter that says that we should be ready to give an answer to everyone that asks us over the reason and the hope that was in us. That says we should always be ready at any moment for anyone to ask us why it is that we are a person of hope. Why is it that we have faith? Why is it that we are confident? Why is it we're not afraid? Why is it that we can go under a surgeon's knife and it doesn't totally unravel us, okay? Give a reason to ask anybody that asks you uh, of the reason the hope that is in you. That is not to be understood as the primary way of witnessing. We are not to sit around and wait for people to ask us about our faith. We are not to sit back and wait for people to come to us interested in what makes us different. Now, we hope that people will see what makes us different, and we hope that people are going to come to us from time to time, but the great commission is to go to them, to take the initiative. And so the question comes, what right do we have to go to other people and tell them to submit their lives to Jesus Christ? Answer, all authority has been given to him. And he told us to do it. And since he has all authority, and he has told us to do it, that's the basis of our right. To go to each and every person that we see and encourage them to recognize the authority that they are under. God's authority extends to every single person, whether they like it or not whether they recognize it or not, they are going to be accountable to him. When he returns, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, without exception. But at that time, there's going to be judgment. So now, we're to go to all peoples and express the need to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we make disciples? One, by going to them. 
Number two, by baptizing them. And what is in view here is conversion. Notice Romans 28, verse uh, 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing carries with it what we usually think of as conversion or evangelism. It is calling on people to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. In Acts 14, 21, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Okay, so preaching the gospel, this aspect of calling on people to make a commitment to Jesus Christ is the first step, if you will, in discipleship. Having people identify with Jesus Christ as followers of him. Pastor Heller often likes to use that terminology when he refers to uh, baptism. And he'll say, you want to follow the Lord in baptism. Okay? That's the imagery of identifying with God. And notice it's the triune God, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Identifying with the authority of God. For people to identify with Christ and his authority. So the gospel is a call to recognize the authority of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Repentance consists of acknowledging our having sought to live independently of God. What we need to repent of is going our own way, doing our own thing. Which we call sin. Sin is disobedience to God. Sin is not wanting God to reign over us, not wanting God to determine for us what is right and what is wrong. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God when he said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For they saw it as a way to be wise and to determine for themselves what was right and what is wrong. So when we preach the gospel, at the heart of the gospel is this idea of repentance, of saying, I have not brought my life under the authority of God. I've said it so many times, it ought to just be flowing out of your head these days, but the two great commands are to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, and the second is to love your neighbors yourself. That's what God has given us to do. Repentance is saying, God, I have not recognized your authority in my life. I haven't done that. I have not loved you with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind, and I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. But repentance says, I am coming to bring my life under your authority. So when I accept Jesus as my Savior, he is my Lord. He is my deliverer from my sin and my self-servants. I am now coming to acknowledge Jesus as my Lord.
The second aspect, or third, depending on how you're numbering this, is make disciples by teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commands. Notice verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It would be right to translate this by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So you make disciples by going to them, by baptizing them, by converting them, by making them followers of the Lord Jesus, and once they have identified and said, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the next step is this, and that is by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what is essential in disciple-making is teaching. Teaching. Teaching is at the heart of discipleship. I can't stress that enough because that's what the Bible says. There are so many different views about, about what discipleship is today. And it's becoming much more popular to talk about discipleship as modeling, role modeling. Living before people an example. The scripture says teach. Teach is what discipleship is. Teach. 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 And what are we teaching? Teaching people to observe or obey everything that Jesus commands. To be a follower is a person who does what Jesus tells them to do. Now, is it good to be a role model? Of course. Should we be a role model? Of course. Is there an importance of being a role model? Of course. Okay. Paul tells Timothy, be an example. Paul writes this in Philippians 4 verse 9. What you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me do. Well, that's the whole shebang in a nutshell. Those things which you have learned, you've been taught, you have received, you've accepted, you have heard, and you have seen in me. Okay, so I modeled these things for you. That's what you should do. Okay, so is modeling a part? Yes, but the heart of discipleship is teaching. If you don't teach, you have not discipled. If you have not instructed, you have not discipled. Let me go a step further. If you have converted an individual to faith, but not instructed them in the things of God to obey all that Jesus has commanded, you haven't discipled. In our day and age, the greatest concern is with conversion. It's with evangelism. And I think a lot of people confuse evangelism with the Great Commission. Should we evangelize? Of course we should evangelize. But that's not the end goal. Okay? It isn't just get somebody saved. It's make disciples. It's not just about going to heaven. It's about bringing people under the authority of Jesus Christ. This whole section is about authority. Authority 
authority. And so a person who is a disciple is a person who seeks to obey all the commands of Jesus. And that's what we're to do. We are to raise up followers, people who are instructed, who know what the commands of Jesus are, and seek to do them, seek to live them out. So discipleship is teaching God's commands to others. And then we have the comfort of the Great Commission. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. For all time. Including today. Including right now. The great comfort in the word of God for God's excuse me, for God's servants have always been the words, I will be with you. I'll be with you. God at the burning bush said to Moses, he said, but I will be with you and they shall be the sign for you. Okay. So he's asking, why should I do this? What Moses asked the question, why should I go into Egypt? They will not listen to me. They will not obey me. He said, I will be with you. To Joshua, he says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Isaiah 41.10, fear thou not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with the right hand of my righteousness. The comfort is that the Jesus who commands us to go goes with us. Jesus who commands us to baptize, we baptize in his name. In the name of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. This Jesus who teaches us that we must teach is the great teacher. And the Holy Spirit will apply these truths to the hearts and lives of people. There is the comfort of Jesus' moral authority. Again, what right do we have to make disciples of all nations? He who has all authority has empowered us with that right. It is his command that we are fulfilling. We can go anywhere and make disciples of anyone because his authority is universal. We have an authority that supersedes all opposing authorities. There are a lot of entities that present themselves as authorities. But we have the apostles in Acts chapter 4 with these words. And they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have been seen and heard. Peter and John say, if it's right for us to be obedient to you or to God, you've got to decide that for yourselves. But for us, we know where our authority lies. You can't forbid us to speak concerning God, for God has told us to take the word of God to all peoples. We have an authority that extends to all peoples. Everyone is included. 
In John chapter 17, verses 1 and following, it says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all that you have given him. Jesus is going to bring people to himself. Jesus is going to save a people. Jesus died on the cross that people would be saved. And there are going to be people that are going to be delivered, according to the book of Revelation, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. There's going to be representative around the throne of God. When we come, we are representing Jesus Christ. And as we proclaim the gospel, and as we teach, it is the authority of Jesus Christ that is bringing people to faith. We don't have to worry, as Moses worried and said when God told him to deliver the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, who am I to deliver the children of Israel? The answer was, I will be with you. Who are we to deliver anyone from sin? The answer is, Jesus will be with us. And so we go believing that he will do a work. He will save a people. We're trusting in his power and his authority. There is the comfort of his protection. But that doesn't mean that we don't go through hardships or difficulties. In Acts chapter 14, verse 19, we read this. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Life is difficult now because not everyone recognizes the authority of Jesus. And Jesus is long-suffering and patient and allows rebellion, allows sin, allows his people to suffer as they proclaim the good news of Jesus' authority. We should not be discouraged by the hardships or difficulties, but rather we are to be encouraged as we look around us. Look at all the disciples. Look at all the followers of Jesus. Look at peoples around the world. Even in closed nations, there are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. This great work of discipleship is going on because he has authority over all heaven and earth. Nothing can conquer him. Nothing can overcome him. In conclusion, in recognition of Jesus' universal authority, we're to be making disciples of all people. Every single one of us are to be making disciples of people. Every one of us. That doesn't mean you've got to go 
2,000 miles across the sea, it might mean you have to go next door. But it's not even about a location. But the, but the idea is about initiation. Initiation. We take the gospel to people. We're not waiting for them to come to us. So we make these disciples. By taking the gospel to them, by, by going, by baptizing, by presenting the gospel, by having people make commitments to the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just say that the way that a person is to make a commitment, the way that a person is to acknowledge that they are a savior is not by raising your hand. It's not by walking forward. And it's not even by saying to your neighbor, I'm saved. If we are truly, genuinely born again, we should have the tenacity, we should have the desire to stand up and publicly acknowledge Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Everyone who professes faith should be baptized. That's the way we identify with Christ. And if you are unwilling to publicly acknowledge Jesus as your Lord, you ought to think hard and twice, twice about the fact, am I really born again? What is keeping me from, from identifying with Jesus Christ through baptism? It's commanded. It begins with baptism. Conversion. It continues on teaching people to observe everything that Jesus Christ has commanded. So it's in-depth instruction that goes on and on and on as we study the Word of God. We are in the disciple-making business. We should model it. We should try to live consistently. Uh, we should uh, bring people under our, under our wings. But being a follower of Jesus Christ is obeying his word. That's the definition. That's what it means to follow Christ. I seek to obey what his word teaches me to do. I know that from the word itself. May God help us, and he will, to be disciple makers in reaching out to people, in bringing the message, good news, converting people who make commitments to Christ in baptism, and then continuing to instruct them in everything that the word of God uh, tells them to do. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us. Uh, we certainly stand in need of you. Uh, you have saved us to be disciples. You have saved us to acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. Salvation is repentance of living independent of you, of making our own decisions, going our own way, and acknowledging you as our Lord and as our Savior, as our deliverer from ourselves, our sinfulness. So, O oh Lord, help us in that obedience to be reaching out to others, seeking to make disciples. Oh Lord, and may we not minimize what that means. Um, help us as we disciple our children, as we talk to our children about knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as we encourage them to follow the Lord in baptism, as we teach them on a regular basis what God's word says. 
Lord, help us to make disciples of our teachers. Help us to make disciples of, of other people's children through, through teaching and through Sunday school and so many different ways. Good news clubs. Oh, Lord, help us to recognize opportunities. Help us to speak at work. Help us, Lord, to be faithful and supplying our, our uh, bosses with a, a good day's work. May we not stand around and just talk. Uh, may we be wise in the way in which we share our faith. But, Lord, in break times, in uh, lunch times, before work, after work, uh, traveling in a truck or uh, a car with, with someone else, oh, Lord, help us to be people that reach out, recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ, who has told us to do this and who will be with us as we do this. Oh, Lord, give us faith in your authority. Give us faith in your power to bring people to Jesus Christ. And may you be glorified. And may disciples abound. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.